you know, when you're in a great job, like your life is great. Like it just is like it has, we spend so much of our, our lives working, you know, if you're really engaged in your, in your work and you love your job, it's a wonderful thing. And that if that, so if the job fits really well, it has a huge effect on your life satisfaction. And if a job is a mismatch, you, you know, the personality of your colleagues is wrong, is kind of off or the actual work itself, the content of the work you don't really like, you know, it could be really miserable. Podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's special episode of Baby Got Backstory, part two of our interview with hiring expert, Dr. Jeff Smart of GH Smart. In our last episode, Jeff shared his story of how he studied under legendary business guru, Peter Drucker, and found his calling to help businesses solve their number one problem, who to hire, who to bring on the team. After spending years studying this question and working with thousands of companies, Jeff is back to share his process for hiring the right person every time. I am proof this stuff works. And the good news is you can do it yourself. Listen closely as Jeff shares his process. This is the secret goods, people. This is the stuff Jeff's clients pay huge fees for. And you can get it right here, right now. So, Jeff, I'm looking at your book right now on the cover. You know, it's called Who? On the cover, in really big type, it says, solve your number one problem. Yes. What, what, is, what is the number one problem we need to solve? So the number one problem is hiring. And that's based on an Economist cover article from a few years ago. It declared after surveying um, thousands or tens of thousands of business and government leaders, like what's the biggest problem and facing our world? It's talent. And so um, also top universities poll CEOs all the time every year, you know, hey, what are the biggest things on your, uh, on your mind? And um, talent and technology disruption are typically one and two. And talent being like, you know, how do you hire and develop talented teams? So yeah, our marketing people at Random House, our publisher, were like, all right, a book on hiring is sounds boring and it sounds like an HR manual. So let's not market it like, hey, here's like the world's greatest book on hiring. Instead, let's make this the nothing short of the solution to your number one problem. And so I, I like that. I appreciated uh, their guidance there. That's why we called it who, because that's, you know, when you're in boardrooms or you're hanging out uh, with government leaders or you're hanging out with entrepreneurs, um, the mo- you know, some of those uh, important, sensitive, scary, exciting conversations are around who, like who, who are we hiring or who's not working out in our company who might need to get fired? You know, who this, who that, who should we pair with this important initiative? So the who questions we thought, oh, also deserve the title who, uh, because the who stuff's your number one problem. Also, thanks uh, a nod out to Jim Collins. Uh, good to great. First get the you know right people uh, on, the, on the bus and in the right seats. And he, he has a quote in good to great. I hope I get this right. 
I said the, um, uh, the most important decisions in business are not the what decisions, they're the who decisions. So according to The Economist, according to leading universities who survey thousands of CEOs, and according to Jim Collins himself, um, this topic of hiring and picking the right people and building a talented team uh, is the number one problem in, in business. So we, we set out to write the, the top selling book on the number one problem in business. Um, and we did. And so that's, that feels good. Like the whole circle was completed. It's like, here's this daunting challenge that so many business leaders say they struggle with. Let's use our, our research and our experiences with clients and try to you know, shape a nice, simple framework to uh, help leaders solve their number one problem. And it is a problem. I mean, I, I feel a little like guilty admitting this, but until I heard you speak and I read your book, I like hated hiring. I mean, like I loathed yes. it. Like it was something that like made me feel icky. And now I can't say that I love it today. Yes. I'm better now. And and yes. thanks to your book and your and, and your methodology, it's helped me quite a bit. But I get the feeling that you love it. Like what do you I, if that if that's true, I do. what do you love what what do you love <laughs> why about do it? I, why what's do you wrong with me? me? Why do I love no, it? No, 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 no. Why do you <laughs> I love it because uh here's why. It it's important when you get it wrong, it's painful and costly. When you get it right, it's a company maker. And so, so just, you know, does it matter? Does it matter? Yeah, like it matters so much. So that's one reason I like it. The other reason I like it is most people do it wrong. They just do it wrong. They do it the wrong way, according to a century of research by thousands of academics and lots of consultants who study this stuff for a living. And by doing it, by, by having most people doing it wrong, that provides an edge or a source of competitive advantage for those who choose to learn how to do it right. And so it's fun. It's like a superpower. It's like you go, we had, there's a, a government leader we're, we're working with a governor. And you know how, um, if you can imagine in, in government land, um, hiring a cabinet, uh, you know, your top team, your top like 20 leaders, after you just won an election, in November, and then you've got like a month and a half until your inauguration to like hire, hire, hire up this whole team from scratch. The hiring success rates of governors putting their cabinets together is abysmal. So um, if you get them to be honest, they would admit it's even worse than the 50% hiring success rate that business people say that they achieve. So if, imagine all the problems that causes <laughs> at scale, right? You know, in government or business or wherever, or if you have like a you know, a 50% or worse hiring success rate, um, taxpayer dollars get wasted, f fraud happens, you know, dishonesty happens, bad results happen. So I, I love, the main reason I love hiring is just because I feel like it, it really is the most important question to get right in, in any, any organization you're trying to lead. And the fact that we have knowledge about, you know, good methods and bad methods and, um, and, and it's not widespread and most people do it wrong makes that uh, extra exciting as well. Yeah, why do we do it wrong? Like, I mean, we're, we're like, you know, we're kind of smart people as a whole, as a, yes. as a, as a species. Like, why, why do we get this wrong? Why can't we figure this thing out? Yeah, so unlike finance and accounting 101 and marketing and, you know, other disciplines uh, that have uh, clear methods that we get taught in school, good hiring until fairly recently, ha hasn't been taught anywhere. You don't learn it in high school. You don't take a class on it in college. And even at some of the best business schools in the world, our, my colleagues will go teach a, you know, one class period on, on, on good hiring methods 
you know, across a two-year MBA program. So the short answer is, you know, you're, you're just not taught how to do it. And then like, well, why can't we come up with hiring methods that are intuitive or whatever? It's because our intuition um, is wrong a lot. For example, one very common way to interview people for jobs is to ask them hypothetical questions. And this is like a whole fad that started in the 90s. Um, and you see it today, people, you know, hey, Mark, uh, how would you resolve a conflict with a colleague? How would you? How would you? It's a hypothetical question. And then Mark goes, oh, you know, I would sit that colleague down and we'd have a conversation about our goals and, you know, we would work through our differences and we'd come up with a win-win solution. I was like, oh, great. So what do we know about Mark? We don't know anything about Mark. We just know that Mark can say what he would do in a hypothetical situation. It seems like useful data. It's just not. When you ask people hypothetical questions, they give you hypothetical answers. And those answers don't tend to be grounded in reality about how they actually behave or perform on the job. So they're like a bunch of things like that, that, that once I pointed out, you, you might go, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Asking people hypothetical questions is dumb. And, but if you go watch a hundred managers interviewing people fresh off campuses or for not-for-profits or in governments or not-for-profits, you know, big, big ones or, or in businesses, there's a ton of that hypothetical interviewing going on. So anyway, it's like, you know, you, you don't get taught it. People invent their own intuitive approaches. I, I had one guy, I remember at a semiconductor company tell me or tell a bunch of us, I was doing a, a keynote over a lunchtime retreat this company was having. He, at the beginning of my thing, he said, I know, I know you're going to tell us the holy grail for hiring. But he's like, I just got to share this really great approach that I use for, for hiring people. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, yeah, I like to ask people what kind of animal, animal they'd be and why. And, I, and everyone kind of laughed. And then I said, well, uh, how do you know what the right answer is? And he said, oh, I, I developed a whole you know, a, a whole matrix of like what different, different answers mean. And I'm like, oh, that's great. Um, what and how has, has it helped you be a successful hiring manager? And he said, no, no, I'm terrible at, at hiring, but at least it cuts the boredom of the process. <laughs> so it's like, why are we bad at hiring? We're bad at hiring because the best methods aren't taught to us in school and, and aren't really taught to us on the job. And then, you know, you kind of fill the void with uh, intuitive approaches that you think might work, but you know aren't really grounded in science or or, or reality. Um, also, people—it's awkward, right? I mean, sitting and trying to you know get to know somebody is a bit awkward. I think a lot of people feel just simply uncomfortable with it, so they try to talk about the weather or sports teams, or they sort of talk about anything. And you know, one of the principles of good interviewing and hiring is you're not supposed to talk about just anything because um, if you are just making conversation with somebody, um, that's not uh, a very like data-driven way to evaluate their capabilities. It's just like chatting. Chatting doesn't make for good interviews, but is the way that a lot of untrained folks default when they're faced with the daunting challenge of, of picking the right people. Yeah. And I also think, you know, a couple of things, you know, just from my own experience, it takes a lot of work. It's not easy. So just like yes. anything that's good, it takes some work and you got to yes. put some, put some work into it. And also like, as you start to get down the process, like I personally start to feel bad. Like I have this like guilt about, you know, bringing people through a process and, and I can tell myself, look, this is all about making sure it's a right fit for them and, and that they're mm. going to be successful long term. But I do have this like sense of like, I feel bad and like, you know, and, and I've even made bad hiring decisions because I feel bad. And of course, we know those don't work out, but you know, I've experienced that myself. 
Yeah, I hear you. And it's, and well, you're nice and you're empathetic and yeah, you're judging people. Like it's a weird thing. It's a weird kind of almost like a unnatural structure for to, to be judging people. But uh, to your point, yeah, if you're better if both sides, the employee prospective employee and, and the hiring manager use better methods for judging the other one, then you'll have a greater chance of, of a good match happening. And when a good match happens, I guess that's one of the other things I just really I feel strongly about and why I love this topic of hiring is, you know, when you're in a great job, like your life is great. Like it just is like it has, we spend so much of our, our lives working, you know, if you're really engaged in your, in your work and you love your job, it's a wonderful thing. And that if so the, the job fits really well, it has a huge effect on your life satisfaction. And if a job is a mismatch, you know, the personality of your colleagues is wrong, is kind of off or the actual work itself, the content of the work, you don't really like, you know, it could be really miserable. And I, I saw something, I think it was a Gallup poll uh, maybe six months ago that only, and I'm going to get this number wrong by a few percentages, but something like only 29% of people love their jobs and the rest don't. And that's sad to me. So I think, uh, yeah, to your point on, it takes hard work on both sides to really figure out if the job's a good fit. Um, and maybe that explains partially why folks who get busy and, you know, have... So many entrepreneurs I know, you know, feel like they uh, have so many fires to put out. It's very difficult and it's understandably difficult for them to sit down and, you know, have write out a scorecard and, you know, do some of the other best practices to, to increase the, the hiring success rate. This episode brought to you by Wild Story. Wait, isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of WildStory, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. WildStory helps progressive founders and savvy marketers build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com, and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. Speaking of some other things that, that can create issues around that, you know, right now we're in the middle, as you mentioned, a big pandemic. And like, how has your current, how has the current situation changed your thinking on hiring and leadership? Like, like, how are you approaching this in a different manner, or are you? Yeah, let's see here. So let's let's think about this for a moment. So the principles of good hiring, I think, um, still apply. We can talk about those later. Um, but as you're creating um, the criteria for who you're hiring, or as you're actually doing interviews by video or by phone rather than in person, I, I think it actually slightly increases the importance of making sure all the, the checklist items are hit. Because you can't just throw time, in-person time with, with someone as a solution to the problem. So, you know, like maybe pre-pandemic, even a lousy hiring process can work pretty well if you just spend a ton, a ton, a ton of in-person time with with the people you're thinking about hiring. Like so, that's 
that's kind of like a bad return on investment time-wise, but you can get to a pretty good answer just by spending a ton of time in person with people. Well, you can't do that in a pandemic. So guess what? You have to default then to the best practices and be more like surgical with how you spend time with folks uh, by video or by phone, doing reference calls, et cetera. You got to like do all that stuff if you want to achieve 90% hiring success, which is what the goal is. The goal is have 90% hiring success um, versus 50% hiring success by by following the steps. And then I think as you're, uh, I think, and it's, and it's just harder. So you better have a much better value proposition for an employee if you expect him or her to leave a great company and join your company in the middle of a pandemic. So I think the energy and the empathy required to really bond with someone and to have them trust you enough to leave their perfectly good job in the middle of a pandemic and join your company um, is higher. I think the bar is higher than in a, you know, than in a, um, a more stable environment. So bottom line is, I think it's just as important as it always is. And I think it's even more important that folks um, follow a disciplined process to get it right. Yeah. And, you know, there's people going to be, you know, it's hard, hard to get someone to, to leave, but also given what we're seeing in the headlines and, and what we know anecdotally, there's potentially some really great candidates out there that can come join your company and yes. be that difference maker in a way. And that they're going to be looking for things like you talked about, like that Harvard uh, case study student talked about, like, why should I come join your company? And yes. also, you know, finding that right match. So are there some principles uh, of good hiring that you're able to share you know, with the audience so that they might be able to get a leg up. Sure, you bet. And I'm with you on that. I think um, it's smart to, because it's hard to forecast in this environment, uh, demand and revenue, I think it's smart to follow these great steps for hiring that I'm about to describe, but then maybe hold on just a moment and not actually start the person right away, but to build um, kind of like a virtual bench of talent that as the business conditions uh, get you know, increasingly clearer and you can forecast you know, revenue, et cetera, um, then all of a sudden you can like snap all these great folks off the bench. So, um, so just like a little bit of caution there because you know, I think it is hard no matter what industry folks are in today, uh, other than hospitals and maybe Amazon, it's hard, to, you know, which are doing you know, obviously tons of activity these days. Uh, it's hard to forecast revenue. So in the environment like, like we're in right now with increased importance, these are the four steps of good hiring that we find are associated with a 90% hiring success rate. Now imagine, Mark, you hire 10 people and like nine out of 10 people work out great. And we define hiring success super simply. It just says, a year after you hire the person, are you, are you glad you hired them or not? And so if the goal is 90% hiring success, um, here are the four steps, and these are outlined in our Who book, and they're super important in, in the during a time of crisis. Uh, one, the first step is called the scorecard. And so one big mistake in hiring is is just using like the name of a job as a as a proxy for a scorecard, like, hey, we're trying to hire a marketing coordinator. Okay, well, what does that actually mean? You know, what do you need the person to deliver? What are the outcomes that you'll you'll measure their success uh, based on? So what are the competencies that are really important for this role and for our, our, our firm? Um, so that, that first step, creating a scorecard, writing out basically like the criteria uh, of what you expect the person to accomplish is step one. Step two is called the source step. And there are a couple of ways to do that well. Actually, uh, one unexpected way to source lots of good candidates is to 
pay incentives to your existing employees to source people. And it could be like 500 bucks or, you know, dinner out uh, or, you know, as much as $10,000 we've heard um, aren't to offer a referral fee to existing employees to do the hard work to really source in more good people. So that's one, one hint on source. And the third step is called the select step. So this is, this is where the interviews are really important. So in the select step, um, you need to have a good intro interview where, you know, you try not to be too eager, you know, and you basically just have like a career conversation with someone, you know, what are your career goals? What are some of your strengths? What are some of the things you're not as good at? You know, have like a really kind of enjoyable, substantive initial call with someone. Is That's like, we call that the screening interview. And then when you have, when you've narrowed down the list of candidates for like a key job to maybe two or three, then you then you wheel out the heavy artillery and you do one of these who interviews, uh, which is long. It's like two hours plus for a senior hire where you sit there and interview them about their their whole life kind of in chronological order. So starting back in the school age, what were some highlights and lowlights of the school years? And then let's talk about each job and talk about uh, what you're hired to do and what you accomplished and what some low points were and mistakes, who you worked with and like what, what your boss was like to work with and what your boss would say it was like working with you. And then why'd you leave that job and what comes next? So doing like a really thorough walk through someone's resume in chronological order like that is a, is a really key step. Um, and then the final step, the fourth and final step we call sell, which is once you've decided, hey, this person really has accomplished great things against the scorecard, we want them, you know, we're very confident that they're going to do a great job. Uh, then you have to figure out how to sell them. And to your earlier question, like how do you persuade them to leave another company and trust you, you know, especially during a, a time of crisis and join your company. And we, we did a big study for the Who book um, of successful entrepreneurs. And we asked them, like, how did you sell people on joining your company? And generally, it was like a checklist of like one or more of, of five things that make someone want to join your company. And they all start with the letter F as in Foxtrot. So fit. So sell them on the fit. Hey, your strengths and talents match. You know, look at this. You fit what we're, what we're all about, your values, et cetera. Um, family, which is basically like, hey, you know, uh, is your, you know, if you have a significant other, are they are they comfortable with you joining our firm? Do they have any questions? Like, you know, how and you, you obviously have to steer clear of asking people questions like whether they're pregnant or you know planning on having a baby anytime soon, and, or asking any questions that are not appropriate for for uh, an interview. But you can certainly ask people if they're if their relevant family members are supportive of their taking a new job with your company. What else? Fortune is the third F. It's like telling people what they're likely to make and not BSing them, but just showing them how their compensation is calculated and what it could be expected to grow to over the next few years. I found very important. So clarity is key. Freedom. So emphasizing what freedoms people will have working for you um, is really key. Everybody really wants a high degree of freedom these days. And so emphasizing that is pretty key. And fun is the last one. So basically, hey, what's fun about working at your company? And it's, and it's like what the actual content of the work, you know, the teamwork, the collegiality, uh, letting them talk to different people and really get a sense for what's fun about working at your company is the uh, fifth and final F and the five Fs for selling. So those are like the, almost like a checklist that we use that we teach our clients to use around, you know, let's make sure we're communicating a brand message 
for hire for for joining this company that hits you know one or more of those five apps that are important to the person. Well, thanks for sharing that. And you know, I, I know this is all supported and comes out of years and years of study and and years and years of science and work. But like as you go through the steps, it doesn't sound that hard. Right. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. So it's weird. It's people who read our books or or clients say things like, yeah, this is like really common sense, but it's kind of uncommon practice. Yeah. And and, and I can I can speak from experience that going through, it gives you a framework, it gives you an ability. I mean, I'm an emotional, as you mentioned, person, yes. and I can tend to let that get in the way of my decisions mm-hmm. uh, versus really tying things to outcomes like you outlined in the scorecard. And we, we hire people and we wonder, why can't they do this thing that we wanted? Because we yeah. didn't tell them and we didn't lay it out or they don't know yes. that's how they're being measured. So I uh, really appreciate you uh, laying out those four steps as well as the five Fs. And and for everyone that's interested, that's definitely in the Who book and in detail. And because it does go into depth and gives you great examples in that book as well. So thanks a lot for that, Jeff. Thank you. You bet. So Jeff, what's next for you and GH Smart? Wow. What's next? All right. That's a fun question. Oh, let's see here. So our growth story is pretty simple. There's nothing next for me. So I'm just, I love my job. I love being chairman and founder of GH Smart. It's an awesome platform. So I will continue to play my role. Every now and then I like to do a stint in some form of public service. So like a few years ago, I took nine months off to work full-time for an, uh, a governor that was up for re-election who's trying to figure out whether or not to keep the team intact. Like, you know, so who, who is going to stay, who is not going to stay in the team. So I was like chief talent officer of a 20,000 person, $30 billion budget state. And that was super fun. So that was, um, so I'd like to stay with GH Smart, continue to do my, my work as chairman and founder here, um, and then kind of toggle out for brief stints of of public service, helping leaders of whether it's not-for-profits or governments to to hire and develop talented teams. It's kind of my thing. I like, I just really enjoy that that work. And that's about it. Uh, So my my role is this, plus some uh, community service, public service stints uh, in the future. That the firm's future is like focusing on three things. So um, with our CEO clients, we only help them with a, a narrow set of problems. And so we want to keep widening the problems that we help our CEO clients to solve. So for example, back in the early days of GH Smart, we were very focused on helping um, CEOs and investors assessing senior talent. Like that was it. That's all we did. And then we added coaching. So we're going to assess the talent. We're going to coach the talent. And then we moved from the individual focus to more of a team focus. So Today, we help senior leaders and their teams, um, you know, hire and develop talent and, and run the team at full power, as we say. In the future, you know, I think there are going to be other, other things, other problems that CEOs face that are leadership oriented that we can help them solve. We don't do any compensation work today. We don't do any large scale organizational culture monitoring kind of work today, like aligning culture to strategy. There's just a bunch of things that we could do for CEOs that we, uh, we just don't have solutions for yet. So to you know, kind of continue to expand the set of solutions that we offer is number one. Number two is geographic expansion. So um, there, we have 12 offices around the US and only one internationally. It's in London. We started it three years ago. It's doing great. 
and um, we'd like to expand from London to continental Europe. So that's that's on the docket for the near term. Um, we'd like to open a Southeast Asian hub in the next three years or so, probably Singapore, possibly Hong Kong, and then expand in Asia that way. And then at that point, figure out what our Latin American, you know, Europe, or uh, our Latin American, Middle East, and Africa expansion plans are. So geographic expansion is is a second priority. And then the third one is a little bit longer term. It's using digital technology to first help our consultants be smarter, no pun intended, in serving clients, um, you know, with advanced data analytics and predictive analytics and that kind of thing. And we have this huge database of all these all these successful and unsuccessful careers of folks for 25 years that we've we've studied and gotten outcome data for. So um, figuring out how to use artificial intelligence and machine learning to make our consultants that much smarter with their advice and counsel on helping you hire, helping you manage your career. Um, and then, you know, I don't know, creating new products and services using technology beyond just consulting to companies would be the longer term goal on our, our product and services expansion. So like maybe one day, you know, G8 Smart will primarily be a management consulting leadership advisory firm as we are today. Uh, but it'd be really neat to have two or three or four other business units that, um, you know, still serve the same overall brand vision of helping leaders be successful, but do it like in different ways, whether it's, you know, products or database access or other um, automated services. Who knows, maybe one day we'll go and, you know, we'll, we'll create matching technologies to help, you know, the, you know, the marks of the future manage your career strategy and to be able to get real-time probabilistic data from us on choices you're thinking about making, like, oh, hey, if you want to turn left in your career, that has a 6% chance of, of making you happy. If you turn right, it's gonna, it has a 94% chance of making you happy. You know, to, to apply statistics and probabilities uh, to help people make more confident decisions with their careers and with how they lead their teams. Uh, it's kind of a medium-term pet project that we're putting a bunch of money into these days. So in summary, what's future future for the firm is do more for CEOs, number one. Number two is uh, carefully expand geographically. And then number three is invest in uh, digital technologies to make our, our work that much more valuable for our clients and that much more enjoyable to deliver for our people. Yeah, and I have no doubt that you'll be able to make that happen. Jeff, as we wrap up here, if you ran into your 20-year-old self, mm-hmm. what do you think he'd say to you today? I think my 20-year-old self would say, uh, good job for staying true to a few things that are really important. Family is super important to me. So I, uh, the way I grew GH Smart has allowed me to you know, put family first. And so uh, that's something when I was 20, I was like, oh, I really want to do interesting things in my career, but I really uh, would love to um, have a successful family. So today I have seven kids and a perfect wife, Lauren, and I've got two kids on the way. We're pregnant with twins that are coming. We're pregnant. She's pregnant with twins that are coming in July. So we'll have nine kids, if you can believe that. Congratulations. Um, That's incredible. So this massive amount of children, uh, we're very um, very family focused uh, and I make a ton of time uh, for my family. So I feel good about that. I don't don't live with regrets of like, oh, you know, entrepreneuring has been great, but you know, missed out on family. So I I think family uh, success, I'd be uh, proud of if, if the 20 year old me was looking forward. Um, and then on the GH Smart side and, and just the entrepreneuring side, I really do feel good about um, my colleagues and the employment opportunity that they 
they get and seem to really enjoy here. And then the value that clients are getting. Um, so I think the 20 year old me, 20 year old me would have said that maybe the like 30 year old me should have invested more energy in software earlier and kind of like, you know, had something to show for the, the, uh, you know, the rise of technology. It does uh, piss me off a little bit that Google was founded a year after my firm was founded. And, you know, like, you know, and we're, we have 120 people and we did 70 million in revenue last year, which was like, great, nothing to sneeze at. But um, yeah, I'd say that 20 year old me would have shaken his head and said, hey, you should have gotten, you know, more of a dog in the technology hunt earlier. So just to be balanced. But overall, I don't know, 20 year old me would it be like, yeah, keep, you know, keep up the good work on, on putting family first, keep up the good work on, uh, hiring people and giving them a ton of freedom and having them really, you know, enjoy their work and have a life outside of work. And I guess the 20 year old me would encourage me today to keep innovating and keep, you know, the foot on the gas pedal of, of, uh, experimenting and, and, you know, never getting uh, too like smug or, or believing, believing our own press, if you will. So staying humble. And I guess like kind of like the, uh, the Andy Grove, one of the CEOs of Intel, um, uh, enough paranoid to um, to always you know work hard and, and push against our overall business strategy and making sure that we're living by the values and the credo. So yeah, I think net net, my twenty year old self would would be uh, pretty happy uh, while also giving me some advice on things that I should be focused on for the future. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Jeff Smart and GH Smart and Company. I can't express what a value the information you shared today is. Thank you. Oh, and if you and I were in an interview and you asked me what animal I'd be, probably a turtle. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny. 